As we get ready for our worship and time in God's Word, I just want to say thanks to our choir and to our music program. Uh, always a blessing. Uh, love that rendition of Psalm 23. Uh, incredibly encouraging to us, so thank you so much. Also want to say thanks to Roy in particular. I, I sometimes will send Roy messages like, hey, can we change a hymn after the bulletin's printed? And He's always game, and so I appreciate that very much. And I also appreciate the the gentleness with which he plays the instruments so that we can hear each other sing. Perhaps you've had the experience of being in a, a worship service um, where the congregation is called to sing and an instrument or instruments are played so loud you can't hear one another sing. Um, God made the human voice as the primary instrument uh, for his praise. And so I appreciate very much Roy's sensitivity to that. So thank you guys and thank you. Appreciate all of you very much and your willingness to serve the Lord uh, in his, uh, the worship of his name. With that said, uh, let me turn our attention briefly this morning to two, actually two passages of scripture uh, that I'm going to refer to in the New Testament. Uh, we're in a series on the church and the question before us is, is why does the church have a supper? I'm really asking some, some serious questions that have to do with the makeup of a congregation, the, the purpose of the Christian church in the world. The first question we ask is, what is the church? The second question we ask is, um, uh, what, who, who's really in charge of the church? Third question we asked last week was, um, what, what's the church supposed to do? And... I thought it was appropriate since we have on our schedule to do the Lord's Supper today. Why does the church have a supper? Why don't don't we have a table? Why don't we come to a table? What what are we doing here today? And this is something that we do as a congregation every six to seven weeks when you add special days like Monday, Thursday, and Christmas Eve. Uh, Why why don't we do this? Some congregations do it weekly. Others do it monthly. Some do it once a quarter. But All of us do it, um, and you have had an experience, I'm sure, if you've been around a Christian church for any length of time, um, of coming before the Lord at what's called the sacrament of the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. And so I guess the question before us is, why do we have this and what do we do? And and really to answer that question, uh, I want to ask a series of other questions. And the first question is, is, why do we do it? The second question I want to ask with reference to the Lord's table this morning is, what is, what, what is it? What, is, what, what does it mean? What, what is it? The third question is, who is it for? Um, who, who's supposed to come to the Lord's table? And then the last question is, how is it to be received? Um, you probably come from different backgrounds. If you've come from different backgrounds, maybe a little different. Unless you come from a Roman Catholic background, uh, you probably come from a background that's very similar uh, in its understanding of the Lord's Supper uh, as we are. Maybe if you come from a Lutheran background, you have a little different perspective on it. Uh, but for the most part, all Protestant congregations hold a similar view. We do not believe that these simple elements, bread and juice, transform into the literal body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a distinctly Roman Catholic doctrine. Um, and so I just want to put that out there at first. We, we believe this bread and this juice remains bread and juice throughout the entirety of the sacrament and its service. Uh, but all of us, if you're a Protestant, would hold to that view if that's your background. Even Lutherans would hold to that view. Um, 
And so we don't believe that this is literally the body and the blood of Christ. We're not re-sacrificing him, which is an important point. With that said, I don't want to get too far into it. Let me jump into what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. These are words that we use regularly as we come before the Lord's table. I, I want to start with verse 17, though, because the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is a little bit bizarre, quite frankly, uh, but I will refer to it toward the end of our message this morning, the context out of which this passage is written. Paul is writing to a church that's got some major problems, and he is writing them in particular with reference to chapters 11, 12, and 13, and 14 with reference to how to properly order worship and uh, the worship of God. And there are some unique challenges that this congregation has and some ways in which Paul describes things and discusses things that address their specifics and a little bit of a challenge to interpret. But let me pick this up in verse 17 as he talks about the Lord's Supper. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe that in part. For there must be factions among you in order for those, that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate who have nothing, those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim forth the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I will give directions when I come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Uh, we're preparing our hearts to come to your table. It's a wonderful blessing to be able to come to your table. And we pray, Father, that you will speak to us, encourage us, and give us a reason to examine our hearts and understanding as to why we come to this table and the reason for which we need to make sure we come in faith and repentance because this is your table provided for your people, and we certainly want to eat it properly uh, and in a proper way. For it's in Christ we pray. Amen. So the first question with reference to why do we have a table is why do we do this? This is a, a pretty unique thing. In fact, uh, it's unique to the Christian church as a whole. Uh, as I said a moment ago, you've got uh, anyway from Roman Catholics to even uh, the most extreme non-denominationalists, non-traditionalists who participate in what we call the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Some people don't call it a sacrament. 
because they believe it's just simply a, a meal to remember. Uh, they call it an ordinance or something else. But, but as a whole, you have probably at some point, if you've been a part of a Christian church any length of time, you have come to the table of the Lord, or at least you have seen this uh, uh, ceremony, as it were, uh, carried out in front of you. Uh, maybe you're visiting with us and you wonder what we're about to do. Is this mystical or is this mysterious? Is it somewhat weird? And, and so maybe the question is, why, why do we even do this? And the answer to this is real simple, because Jesus commanded us to do it. Now Luke's account, we read from verses 23 through 26, particularly of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Excuse me, that's Paul's account. It's very similar to that of Luke in Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus tells his disciples to do this meal, to take part in this practice, which was tied to the Passover meal. And if you're not familiar with the Passover, the Passover was a ceremony in the Jewish religion of the day that uh, referred or commemorated God's work of salvation or God's work of redemption um, with the Old Testament people of Israel, which we know of in the Exodus. Surely many of us are familiar with the story of the Exodus where God frees the Israelites from slavery in Egypt uh, through ten plagues, the last of which had to do with the angel of death that killed the firstborn of all of those in Egypt with the exception of the Jews who had blood painted on their doorposts and on the lintels above their doors. This blood was particularly painted as, uh, as a result of being drained from a lamb, a Passover lamb. And God prescribed that every year his people would meet together to worship and to reflect and to commemorate God's work of redemption in their lives as he delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians, saved them from slavery, and brought them into life with him into a relationship with him and so Jesus at the moment of celebrating his last Passover meal Jesus being a faithful Jew celebrated Passover at the moment of celebrating his last Passover meal with his disciples told them that from now on when you do this you do it in remembrance of me Jesus instructed the church those who would come after him, those who would call upon his name, those who would be his body to participate in this sacrament, to participate in this meal. So why don't we do it? Because Jesus specifically said to do it. In fact, we as Protestants believe he had two things that he specifically said we do. Number one, we baptize with the mark of the, the new covenant people of God that everyone who trusts Christ is baptized and their children are baptized as they are uh, receiving the benefits of being raised as members of the people of God. We'll talk about that in March, March 10th. In particular, we have the privilege of having a baptism. So we baptize and we come to the Lord's table. We partake in the supper. So why do we do it? Because Jesus, who is the head of the church, said do it. Second question is, what is it? What is it? Well, you're going to come, and if you've been with us before, you know, and many of us have, that we're going to have, uh, you're going to receive, passed to you from the elders, a tray of bread and little nuggets of bread, uh, and then you're going to receive a cup that comes along, and it's really no more than a thimble of juice. And you're going to partake, and we're going to do it together. And we're going to talk about how this is common, our common faith, our common loaf, common body in Christ, common cup in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But more than that, that small token of bread and token of juice is reflective of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. It commemorates what God has done to redeem you and me from our sins. And so the story of the Old Testament is that in a very literal sense, God delivers his people from slavery, breaks their chains of slavery and brings them into life with him. That's reflective, or excuse me, that's uh, predictive of what God's going to do for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's explanatory in that you and I are enslaved to sin, that which is wrong and that which is, violates the law of God and that which causes us to be separated from God. We do bad things. And if you've ever found yourself in the midst of a cycle where you're doing bad things and you try to break that cycle, you realize that you can't do it on your own. It's really hard to have behavior modification on your own. With reference to the story of our redemption with God, we can't get ourselves back into a good relationship with God because of our sin. And so Jesus has poured his blood out for us and redeemed us. And the pouring out of that blood, he's forgiven us of those sins and he's given us new life. And so we commemorate that. So as as such, it is covenantal and relational. When we come to this table, it is covenantal. It is a relational table. We pass it before each other. We pass it to each other. There's a relational aspect that exists between the covenantal people of God. Jesus, when he institutes the Lord's Supper in Luke chapter 22, in Matthew chapter 26, he does it in the context of covenants. He refers to himself as the Passover lamb whose blood is shed for the freedom and the forgiveness of sins and the freedom of his people. And in the Old Testament, the Passover was a sign, a seal, as it were, a physical, visible seal to remind them, but also to, to, to show them of the reality that what God had done for them in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. It was to remind them. It would make sense then that Jesus would say, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Because in drinking of the cup and eating of the bread, we are receiving a seal of that covenant promise of God that he indeed will fulfill every promise he's made to his people. It's a benefit of a relationship with God. It's a benefit of a relationship with God. It's covenantal. It's also an ordinary experience in the life of the Christian church. Our director of public worship, as a denomination, says this should be done ordinarily, but not so often it becomes a rote experience, but ordinarily enough that it's not considered extraordinary in addition to worship. That's why we do it every six weeks. I think maybe we ought to consider doing it once a month, but I'm cool with six weeks at the moment. We, it should be ordinarily a part of the experience of God's people when they gather together. And the reason for that is because you and I need the reminder, right, that, that God has indeed forgiven our sins. I, I don't know if you struggle with that, but I do in my life. Uh, I sin. I, my experience is very much like the Apostle Paul's in Romans chapter 7. Uh, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do, and 
and, and, and sometimes I could get caught up in shame and guilt and frustration and, and, and wrestling with whether or not God has actually forgiven that sin. This sacrament, this sign confirms us, to us, excuse me, confirms to us that God does indeed forgive sins. Jesus in Matthew's gospel, when Matthew records the institution of the Lord's Supper, says that Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for the forgiveness of sins. What is he saying there? Well, drinking of the juice doesn't forgive the sins. God has forgiven the sins, but it reminds us. It's a, it's a very real experience of God's forgiving grace. We need that. I need that. I believe you probably need that as well. We need to be reminded that God is gracious and has forgiven our sins. It's also a foretaste. So, so you know, you've done this before, many of us, if not all of us. And, and, and you know when you receive this sacrament and the bread comes to you, you'll see a little nugget of bread. You're going to say, this is not really a snack, even. This is just a token of bread. And then you're going to get this little thimble of juice. And uh, thankfully, we don't have this problem. But I have been places where the bread was so dry, you needed more than a token of juice to just get it down your throat. But thankfully, uh, Anne makes wonderful bread for us. But it's just a small token of juice. In a sense, it's a snack. And that's what Paul's really addressing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. They had tied the Lord's Supper to a fellowship meal. So in a sense, if just take our congregation's ministry experiences and our congregational life and apply it to the church in Corinth, it would be they would tie the sacrament to our fellowship meal on a Wednesday night with the covered dish. And so the people in Corinth would come together and share and the wealthy folks would bring a tremendous amount of food and the poorer folks would show up with very little or anything at all and the wealthy folks would go off and eat all the food they brought and have well uh, stocked tables that they ate from and the poor folks were left were left hungry and unfed because they didn't have enough to bring and the idea of the love feast would be that you come and share it just like we do with a covered dish dinner or as the old country folks say, a potluck supper. Right? That's the idea. You put it out there. And of course, if you've been to one of ours, you know I always say, remember the folks behind you. Because we've had some people, not naming names, but we've had some people struggle with what happens in Corinth. Go through the line quickly and eat a lot. Very little left for everybody else. And don't mess with my deviled eggs. And I eat last. But the point was, right, they would do that. And then they would somehow tie this experience to that fellowship meal. And Paul says, you can't do that because what you're doing is you're, you're eating up all the food here and you're not sharing with each other and you're not meeting each other's needs. And the body of Christ is one and, and the blood of Christ is shed for all who would come. It's not to be eaten up by the, by the wealthy. It's to be there for all. And so that's why it's a token it's a snack, but it, more so than that, it's a foretaste. I think it's reflected in the size of the bread and the size of the juice. It, it, it's reflected, even if we had a common cup, it'd be one sip. It's reflected. Uh, it's reflective of, that's a better way to put it, it's reflective of the foretaste of God's goodness and grace that we experience now by faith in him. 
and that which is to come. As much as God lavishes goodness and grace upon us, that cup of blessing I will take and call upon the name of the Lord. We, we receive blessing upon blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace upon grace, but that pales in comparison to what we will experience for eternity once we're in the presence of God. And so this little token is a foretaste of the glorious banquet that waits God's people in heaven. So it's covenantal, it's relational, it's ordinary. But it's also sensual. And I mean sensual in the true sense of the word. Unfortunately, our culture has taken language like sensual and hijacked it and applied it only to sexuality. But sensual in that, it involves the five senses. You'll touch the bread. You'll smell the juice. You'll see the bread. You'll see the juice be poured. You'll hear the juice be poured. You'll hear the clanging of the cups in the trays that it has passed from person to person. And you'll taste the goodness of God. All five senses. How do we experience life? We experience life through our senses. And so in a very real way, according to our catechism, in a very real way, this is a, a sensual confirmation of the reality of God's great redemptive work in our lives as sealed upon us in the Holy Spirit. And so we partake to know that the resurrection of Jesus, the promise of God, the fulfillment of the promises of God in our lives is as real as that juice is in our mouths, as real as the fruit of the vine smells to us, as real as the sound of those trays being passed around, as real as the taste and the touch and the feel of that bread in our hands. So it's confirmation. It's an experience of God's grace. We call it a means of grace. It's a means to which we experience the grace of God. It's a commemoration of the redemptive work of Christ. That is covenantal, ordinary, experiential. It's also for those who have trusted Christ. And quite frankly, let's put it this way, sinners saved by grace. You're probably at some point in your life, maybe today, but at some point you're going to question whether or not you're worthy of partaking of this sacrament. If you know that this is the opportunity you have to experience the grace of God, you know that this is covenantal, you know that God in his grace has given this to you. You're going to wonder if you're worthy to receive it. That's why I read from Paul's instructions. Because Paul talks about the drinking of it worthily, not unworthily. And so you're going to sit there and you're going to wonder, should I take or should I pass? Should I, should I, should I eat or should I not? Or at least I would imagine those of us who are spiritually alive will do that. And I'll say to you this morning, it, it's for you. It's for you. 
It's okay to partake. If you recognize you're a sinner and you've trusted Christ. Sinners saved by grace. Now if you've not trusted Christ, this is not for you yet. Because if you haven't trusted Christ with your life, you haven't given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, I'm resting in you and I'm washed in your blood. Your invitation, I say this every time we have the supper, but I, I mean it every time. Your invitation is greater than coming to this table. It's coming to Jesus for the first time. You, you need to get right with Christ, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess your sins and, and rest upon him alone for your salvation before you come to this table. This is why... This is for sinners saved by grace who are baptized, meaning they've received the sign of God's covenant people and who are professing Christian members of churches. Because there is a, an importance of recognizing this is a covenantal meal for those who've been redeemed by grace. So our children who've not gone through the process of joining the church are not encouraged to come to the table because Though they may profess faith, they haven't gone through the process of being examined and, 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 and professing that publicly before the presence of God and before the presence of the people and before the session. And so it's not, they're not ready for it. But to those who have and are members of Local congregation, you don't have to be a member of our church to come to this table. You just be a member of a church, professing believer, baptized in Christ. Someone who knows he's a sinner, she's a sinner, and has called upon Christ for salvation. And how is it to be received? It is to be received by faith and repentance. We receive it by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in a, a posture of repentance which means we are saying we are walking away from our sins and walking unto you. It doesn't mean we don't fall. I think the misnomer is that Christian life is a, or repentance is you don't, you don't struggle with sin. No, repentance is actually a recognition that you struggle with sin and you do fall, but yet you feel bad about it and you come before the presence of God and you confess it and you say, I don't want to do it again and I want to walk with you and I cry out to be delivered from the body of death and, and while you're walking on this earth, sin is still present in your body and, and, and it will be until you die, but you're striving to live in righteousness and bring it before the presence of God. In other words, you're not just happy with being a sinner, but you're wrestling with it. You're striving to walk in righteousness. You've confessed it. You've repented the best you can. And you're pressing on in the reliance upon God and his spirit to help you overcome. And so I invite all of us this morning that if you are a member of Christ's church, you've trusted him with your life, you've repented of your sin, you've received the sign, and you've joined and publicly professed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to come to this table because it's yours. It's here for you. It's a covenantal meal that is to be ordinarily practiced in the life of the church. It's experiential of the grace of God because it commemorates the resurrection of Jesus and the regenerative work of Christ and the redemptive work of Jesus in our lives. And because you've been commanded by the Lord Jesus in his grace to partake of this meal. With that said, I want to invite our elders to come forward to prepare the table for service.